Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. My name is Mr. Figures and I'm one of the hosts. Yes, he is. And my name is Miss Melmoy and I am one of the other hosts. She sure is. And tonight, this is episode 96, where we are going to be diving into some Irish and Celtic folklore in honor of St. Patrick's Day. Um, what are we going to talk about? Banshees? maybe some creepy leprechauns, maybe um, some weird fairy fae folk shit. It's going to be good. Um, And we've got a special guest with us today to dive into all things creepy Emerald Isle. And that is um, a good friend of the show, Matt Shore. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Um, We're so glad to have you back. Um, as our longtime listeners, of course, will know, Matt is a columnist and uh, a podcaster as well. He's a writer. Uh, he's a um, Halloween enthusiast and a decoration king. Um, and he's back with us today for, is this your third time? I believe so. Yeah. I think okay. this is magic number three. Magic number three, fantastic. Trinity, <laughs> Irish stuff. There you Irish go, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's meant to be. <laughs> fantastic. This would be a good time to mention, I, I think I do have some Irish heritage in my family line. Do you? Yeah, on my uh, grandmother's side. Aha, interesting. I do not, I have Welsh ancestry. That's no. close, that's Celtic. That's Over Celtic, people. yeah. That's true, there you go. So I'll take it. Mel, do you have any Irish ancestry? I do. I have more Scottish than Irish and more Viking than both of them, as it turns out. <laughs> um, but you're, you know, um, if you had to pick one, then yeah. Viking. <laughs> you're just sort of like general, like Northern Europe. Yeah, it's like the one side of my family tree ancestry came over and conquered the other side. So I got like the <laughs> mixture there. But, um, and it resulted in you so yeah so here i am huzzah it all it was all leading up the 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 viking invasion of ireland and scotland was all leading to me <laughs> to you and to this moment mm-hmm. of course it all makes sense history and context <laughs> i'm gonna want to have an image of you in my head now at at, uh, at bars on friday nights like swigging a big thing of beer slamming it down <laughs> another with my axe <laughs> yeah well, what was the um, what was the bar at Pitt with the Viking horns? Oh, Peters. Peters. Close, yeah, but yeah. So you got Viking bar. horns when you turned twenty-one. You turned twenty-one, which is apparently like a historical, not just because you know it, it, college bar Peters is handing out horns, but you know, famously, everyone really dashed their hopes about Vikings wearing horned helmets. Oh, they didn't ago. actually do that. No, that's a bummer. Yeah. That's too bad. It is too bad. Archaeologists. Ruining the party. All right, well, we'll get into more things Irish and Celtic a little bit later on. But first, let's do a read, watch, listen, check-in, and some horror headlines. Um, Matt, who's here with us, is going to be talking a bit about um, his Kickstarter um, for Moby Dick, Back from the Deep. Um, but, But before that, like, Matt, have you been reading anything horror related have you been watching anything that was really good lately or listening to anything i have i discovered a horror magazine anthology series called shutter from uh, warren publishing i'm sure a bunch of people have heard of this but uh, i 
just freshly discovered this thing and it's like uh it's modern printing but it or it's printed today of course but it's printed like stuff out of the 60s it's all black and white old paper and Ooh. it looks like yeah and it looks like those old ec tales from the crypt style comics you've got old anti-shutter it's like welcome kiddies i've got some creepy stories to tell you and then it's just a five or six just five page spooky stories and just I just I love it. I just I discovered it at a bookstore and then I just started getting out on eBay comics sites and just anywhere that I could find these things I can get more and just yeah I love them. They're they're just it's the same type of thing. It's spooky and then it's got that weird twist at the end just like the uh, Tales from the Crypt where it just all comes back to bite the main character in the butt and it's it's awesome. I love them. That sounds so cool. It works great when you're a parent and you don't have time to really dive into an in-depth book or movie or whatever. Quick little five-page story. Okay, I'm good. I'll set it aside and then come back later. That's awesome. And you said, and what was the name of it one more time? It was Shutter, like the streaming Shutter. service? Yeah, it is exactly like the streaming service because that made it hard for me to look for because I kept yeah. trying to the streaming service. <laughs> Did you mean this? <laughs> right. Did you mean to watch? That sounds so cool. I'm going to have to look into that. Um, I do love that old, like, I just even love holding the old sort of, like, pulpy style mm -hmm. things and, like, the aesthetics mm -hmm. of, like, you know, reading that, and it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Was I'd be kind of jealous that I couldn't print my own comics that way, in that same pulp paper style, oh, it's, yeah. it's not an option for me. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any particular story that really stood out to you? Um, let's see one stood out um they, they blend the i think the very first one really is what stuck with me the most it was uh, it's a halloween special and you have this girl dressed up as a sexy witch and she goes to this she's being chased by this werewolf and she runs into this house for shelter and she's trying to find it's like is anybody here i need some help there's a monster out there and they'll say oh that's just our boy it's fine he does it all the time it's like what are you kidding so they open the door the werewolf walks in she's horrified she turns around and the whole family has turned into werewolves too it's like yeah we thought we thought we'd just have somebody over for dinner ah, so, i like it yeah that that's the humor that pervades the, the entire thing <laughs> yeah very very creep show very yeah tells from the crypt nice yep. it's fantastic well, how about you, Miss Mel? What do you got for us? What you been up to? Well, I feel like since we last spoke, um, right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That came out. That came out after our mm -hmm. last episode. Yeah, um, Matt, did you get a chance to see the new Texas Chainsaw? No, and that isn't strictly because I'm a parent. I kind of gave up on Texas Chainsaw a while back because it just seems like after part two, they stopped trying. Um, <laughs> you I didn't haven't see seen... the great uh, 2006 one. <laughs> I, that I is that the one with, uh, was it Jessica Biel? Yeah. Or, uh, what's her name? The From remake. Seventh Heaven? Yeah, that, Jessica the... Biel. The 2003 I did... one. Yeah. I saw that one, but it was just I like, like well, <laughs> it wasn't bad, but it was just the same thing all over again. Like, so I no think... no series just repeats itself more so than Texas Chainsaw, I think. Well, and the thing is, is it repeats this, and I feel like this was a big, my big takeaway from the new one, is it's it's trying to repeat itself, but it's repeating the wrong things, or what it thinks it's repeating is not what, you know, 
it thinks it is um you know like whatever i can get on with get on board with like okay like it's 2022 people want gore that's fine but like the beauty of the original was you didn't there wasn't really any blood it was all kind of what was you imagined to be going on and um you know the the kind of uh, like commentary they were making with it in this one with like sort of class warfare was like very different than what they were trying to commentate on in the original so i it was fun but um doesn't uh doesn't hold a candle in my opinion to the original but um i did watch hellbender as well speaking of shutter and that was very fun people seem to be really enjoying that one I stumbled on it by accident I guess like the day it came out because after I watched it that day like the New York Times review had been published like that same day (laughs) (laughs) watching um but no it was it was it was really fun and it's a real mother-daughter in real life playing a mother-daughter in the film um it's actually like a whole like real life family band. The band is called Hellbender and they produce films sometimes. So other family members are in the movie. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's pretty fun. I would recommend it. Um, and then I think that was it. I might've had a bunch of little random things here or there, but those were my big ones. Nice. Yeah, I've heard good things about Hellbender. I also saw the new Texas Chainsaw. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you said, it's fun. It's not like boring necessarily. It's just feels like any other. I also want to know what stuff. those kids do for a living that they were seemingly our age and bought a town to auction off to developers. Right. I was like, is that an option? Can I buy a ghost town with my yeah. friends? Yeah, because Matt, Matt, I don't know how much you saw on Twitter, but like the sort of like opening is this group of millennials has like purchased the deed to this decrepit Texas town and they're trying to auction it off to developers. And now what millennial has the money to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they the poorest generation that uh, has really, ever existed? It was really wild that that was their uh, <laughs> sort of conceit for being in the town. <laughs> but, yeah. And That's it, fun. I think my thing with that franchise, which very much still applied to this new one, is that part of what makes the original so terrifying for me is that it's the whole family Mm-hmm. that's involved and obviously like Leatherface has very much become the face of the franchise and is it's often just him in the sequels and I think when you take away the family members you take away a bit of the yeah. terror yeah because of the dynamics with how they're treating him and how they they interact with each other and who's in charge and yeah you, know, you get the feeling in the beginning Leatherface might not even be into doing a lot of this stuff it's that he's kind of being coerced into it and now he's just sort of been like sort of find and replace for like michael myers just put in exactly yeah you know curiosity what um like how did it look because to me that's part of what made the original ones kind of they felt so much more visceral, I guess, mm-hmm. because it almost looked like a documentary made in the 60s. Right. Like the film stock was dirty and old and you could see all right. the scratches on it. 
Um, and that's something that I always thought kind of got lost with the later sequels. They just, they got so pretty. It's like when Jessica Biel showed up, it's like, okay, no, 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 no. A girl <laughs> like that is not wandering into Texas in the woods. Just... Yeah, the original definitely made, like it makes you feel sweaty. Like when you watch mm-hmm. it, like you feel like the gross heat. This one, they put like a, I don't know, would you say it's like a, they put sepia tone over it? Almost, yeah. yeah. I think they're trying to, replicate or at least pay homage to that grimy look from the original um it it, i don't know it still looks pretty slick it's very produced yeah very produced yeah it's i didn't feel the sweaty sort of being shoved in a van with no ac because that's the thing is, is it feels like almost like watching somebody's home movie um that they're just really good at you know yeah yeah Mm um the only time i felt like that was with the mechanic character Mm -hmm. i can't think of the name yeah that guy (laughs) yeah he's in like that actor's in a lot of stuff now too i can't think of his name either but it's like they did a genuinely good job of making him look like grimy and yeah but Really handsome like distractingly handsome he was a random guy to be like running around texas but yeah he was incredibly handsome speaking of ireland about uh the mom and dad in belfast it was like these people are too too good looking to be going right i'm like what's jamie dornan doing there i'm sorry no you really have a very you you really uh had a very high opinion of of your dad i guess mr mr kenneth Branagh. yeah right i was like i don't think so but anyway right anyway um so matt you have some exciting news to share with everyone listening and that relates to uh the final correct kickstarter for (laughs) the final issue of moby dick back from the deep right correct yeah oh my gosh it's actually kind of bittersweet because uh, I looked back when I started this thing as a webcomic and it's been four years. So wow. it's like, and it's not going to be the last thing I do. I've got plenty of weird tales in my head, but for so long, this has been sort of like the backbone of everything I did. Like every new thing I did, there was always still the zombie whale back there was part of the whole thing. And so, yeah, this is the the story's finished. We've got every every page is complete. We just need to print it. And uh, so, so yeah, like I said, it's it's just it's sort of surreal. Like I'm I'm not publishing it anymore. I'm just I'm putting it out, and I'm actually moving on to something else. Wow. That's yeah. Good. And just to remind people listening, real quick, what is the premise? Sure. Uh, in short, it's about the, the white whale returning in modern times as a zombified beast. Herman Melville's story was real. It all really happened. The whale disappeared at the end, and now he's back. So uh, he just everywhere he goes, he causes chaos, death, devastation, and unfortunately for this one community, they're where he goes. And so, <laughs> and so now they're the ones uh, who have to deal with this. And then uh, right when things look like they can't get any worse, uh, along comes Ahab and his zombified crew to, to throw another monkey wrench into their problems. So yeah, so that's the story. Man, these people, these four people in this town, got it rough. Yeah, I, I call it Jaws meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. And how could you not like? It sounds like right up your alley, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> how could you not want to be invested in that combination? 
Um, so what can people expect in the final installment? Obviously, you don't want to give away your ending, but can we get a tease? Well, I'll say this. Uh, it's a horror story, so don't look for closure. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> horror story. It's a bloody like... uh, question mark at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing a horror tale likes worse than closure. We always like to leave that back door open. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it, but I like to think that we, we came up with a, a fairly satisfying conclusion. Um, you know, Ahab gets his confrontation. Uh, our main character is, of course, Catherine Barlow. We followed her throughout this whole thing. She's sort of our eyes of this story because one of the things I decided early on, like as cool as Ahab is, for him to really have maximum impact is if we, it's not to see the story through his eyes, but through somebody else seeing all these amazing things happening. And for, for this story, that's Catherine. Um, I wanted some, I wanted a child because I figured a child that's going to, who's going to be the most, feeling the most frightened and vulnerable mm-hmm. with this kind of experience. Um, but yeah, she, she witnesses everything. She's dealing with all the hardship, all the fallout, all the problems. And she ultimately goes with them on this voyage, this voyage of the damned, so to speak. She's the only living person on this boat with all these undead sailors tracking this undead monster. And so, yeah, there's, there's all of that happening in there as well. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's as far as I want to go though. Like you said, I don't want to give out too many spoilers. That's a good tease. That's a good hook. <laughs> get people invested. Um, and speaking of investing, um, the Kickstarter is active and up right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, launched uh, last week as we record this. And uh, we actually hit our funding goal uh, by the just before the end of the week. So that's very exciting. And we announced our first stretch goal. Uh, if we can reach that, ev- everybody who orders a print copy will get a trading card. But we want to do a little bit more since this is our last time when it's been a little bit extra. And so we decided to will also one of the things my wife and I did during the pandemic to occupy ourselves, we came up with all these spooky T-shirt designs. So we're going to have a raffle for a spooky T-shirt. Uh, one winner will get a, a free T-shirt along with whatever they order. Nice. Look at you with your merch and everything. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And people can just find that at kickstarter.com slash, is it? Uh, if, if you look it up on Kickstarter, yeah, you'll find it. Or you can follow any of my uh, social media handles on uh, on Twitter at the Matt Shore, on Instagram at the Shore. And if you happen to get on TikTok, I'm on there as well at the one Matt Shore. That is the Ooh, number TikTok. one Matt Shore. But if I'm being honest, the simplest and easiest way is just to go to my website, mattshore.net and i made a point of a gigantic splash page that will dominate your screen the moment you go to that page that will say here's the kickstarter if you want to do it so that's probably the easiest way to find it so people can't miss it right i did not want yeah i wanted every avenue i could give people and yeah on my website that's the simplest mattshore.net and it'll be right there front and center awesome uh, well, you can definitely expect a donation from Mel and I on behalf of Splatter Chatter. We're well, thank you. Thank very you so much. Excited. Yeah, of course. Very much looking forward to see uh, how you wrap things up. Um, and so you mentioned you've got other things, um, you know, in the fire. What else you got cooking? What's what's next? What's after this? Okay. Well, I have another series of books for young readers this is literary not comics based on uh, like just stuff with dinosaurs and it started with a book called attack of the zombie rex 
you can see a theme in the stuff I write. It's all over the top monsters. So that that's the first one in that series. There have actually been three. And I have uh, just wrapped up a fourth one that I'm planning to, if all goes well, you know how it is with indie publishers, but if all goes well, we'll put that out like maybe in August or September, uh, maybe at the beginning of the school year for people. And it's going to be another one in that series, this time featuring pterodactyls. Ooh, that's oh, my flying favorite. zombies. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, exactly. Like it was bad enough and it was a T-Rex, but now it's something that can fly. So. <sighs> Pterodactyls are my favorite dinosaurs. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, it's it's a series that is really fun. Um, I, I, I enjoy everything I, I do. I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. But when it comes to writing that particular one, just every every single chapter, I'm just having, I always like, I start a chapter resolving the last, the last chapter. And when in my head's like, okay, now I'm going to create another problem. That's going to be my next cliffhanger. And it, that's just every time yeah like, okay what can i do to make it worse what can i do to make it worse and that's and i keep making it worse for them almost like old serialized yeah it's i'm so mean to the kids in that series <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's like half the fun of being a writer exactly yeah i, I think it was might have been stanley who said uh the best thing you can do to your characters is torture them because people will read that mm-hmm. so so we torture them I mean, I think us horror fans definitely subscribe to that pretty well. <laughs> We're almost a bit more literal with that one, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the creators of Saw will attest to that one. Oh my gosh, yeah. They made a fortune off of that. <laughs> Speaking of the same thing over and over. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I think we're all looking forward to to that and whatever else you come with come up with next and and seeing how everything shakes out with Moby Dick um so thanks for plugging that and oh anytime I am always happy to plug it thanks for letting me (laughs) yeah of course and we'll be sure to also um put all that up and links to the kickstarter on our twitter feed as well so be on the lookout for that chatterers um what do you think guys should we turn our attention to the Emerald Isle. Isle. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Matt's got, he's in a room with a green wall. I was going to say, it was very... I was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. All right, well, Miss Mal, I'm going to turn things over to you. I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, it's fine. Get us started here. Yeah, so what... Oh, there we go. I'm rolling away. Um, What we are talking about today... Uh, hopefully in real time, if you're listening to this, it is, we've gotten this up before on St. Patrick's Day. Um, and that kind of uh, really inspired a, a bit of digging um, into what would feel thematic for this time of month. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I always, I like don't really care about St. Patrick's Day, but to me, it kind of like marks the beginning of spring in my brain. So I really enjoy it. Um, you know, just as a thing that exists on like the cusp of spring and the end of winter. Um, but Irish folklore pre-St. Patrick and his battle, legendary battle with the snakes. <laughs> um, there was some weird stuff going on in the uh, in the Celtic world and the mythology and spirituality. Um, so as I am wont to do, 
I did a little bit of research just to sort of set the scene for uh, where some of these uh, monsters and goblins and ghouls, um, although they probably wouldn't have been monsters and goblins and ghouls and ghouls to the, the contemporaries of the time, they would have just been, you know, things in the woods. Um, but uh, it sort of set the scene in the, in the backdrop for um, where these things come from. Um, and the first interesting thing that it, I knew but found is that the Celtic world is a lot bigger than we think it is. We think of it as than I thought it was. I don't know what you know anyone else out there thinks going into this, but um, you know, you think Ireland, Scotland, Wales, but it actually stretches down into Spain and Portugal and parts of France. There were Celtic peoples there. It was a very tribal um society, which meant that it didn't have a system a systemic religion like it was like broad spirituality and very regional folklore the best surviving myths of these regional folklores come from ireland and scotland um and one of the big ones that i think is going to kind of like be a sort of umbrella for a lot of at least what i have written down and this is going to be my first apology for not being able to pronounce anything <laughs> at all ever um, is a, a group of beings called the IOC. I'm not, that's the best I got. Okay, yeah, I came um, across, yeah. Yeah, I've only, in the words of Peter Griffin, I've only seen that word read, or <laughs> written, written. Um, which is a supernatural race, which depending on the tradition could be associated with pre-Christian, like completely pagan context, um, or it could have been, as it was in later traditions, blended with Abrahamic faiths. So in either situation, these are hidden people, kind of similar to the hidden folk in, in Iceland and, and Scandinavia, um, who, you know, exist in caves and in the woods and in sort of dark and hidden places and um, on, on a completely sort of different plane for many of them that, you know, you can only access during certain times of the years, like Samhain and Beltane and Midsummer, um, and basically, it's interesting because they start out very, you know, pagan, um, very um, primal, uh, nature-based, and then when you have in the fifth century Christianization comes to Ireland, it mixes with those traditions, so they become like the the fallen angels uh, and that's how they're manifesting in the land and that sort of thing interesting yeah so it's very interesting depending on the time period that you're looking at them um but that's kind of where i based my looking at things and some of the fun goblins and ghoulies that uh i found nice yeah so yeah so i definitely i came across that term as well and a lot of this research um and it's to me it sort of just felt like i think you said this right it's meant to be like an umbrella term right mm -hmm. for all the sort of like various fey supernatural creatures that supposedly inhabit ireland right <laughs> okay so we're on the same page about that yeah. <laughs> um yeah. that's interesting about the connection like linking them to um 
the fallen angels, like with the arrival of Christianity. Yeah, they would, you know, like they would refer to them that way and say, oh, look, like our, our belief systems match up because what we call this, you just call that. And then sometimes the sort of more devious ones become like demonic entities. Um, and that's kind of where you get a lot of times in like um, sort of like exorcist style horror movies where they're linking um, demonic entities to like historical pagan um, deities and that sort of thing. I think the most famous version of that is a like Semitic god, um, Baal represent. Oh, yeah. um, but you see it as well in, um, you know, different, different um, places where Christianity and uh, prevailing like a, an existing spirituality or religion or mythology existed and they blended. I mean, and that's what's interesting sure. is people think about it as like, you know, this one religion came in and kind of stamped out the other. And it really, it was like a sort of weaving and you see that best with Halloween. Um, it's a, sure. it's a complete stitching together of two very, very different holy times for two different groups of people. Right. Or even Christmas, mm -hmm. which was meant to like line up with. So this is, Again, going back to our early earlier conversation about the Viking thing. So this this okay. this relates a little bit. <laughs> well, you gotta fill in the listeners. So <laughs> um Yule, the term Yule, right. right? Yeah, we know about Yule. It's the um it's it's Christmas time, winter, midwinter, and stuff. So it comes from the I don't know which version of which runic alphabet because there's several, but old Scandinavian language word yol, J-O-L, which people meant to be, you know, people took us like, yeah, it's their, their party that, you know, it's their midwinter party. Apparently the word literally just means to party. So basically this guy was equating it as like, it's basically if they look, if future historians look back on us at spring break and said, oh yes, this was an important <laughs> This was an important spiritual, spiritual <laughs> cultural. <laughs> and it became like people so like they did have midwinter things that they did. It just Yule, Yule was just the catch-all term for all, all parties. I'm just imagining like 3,000 years from now or something, like the idea of spring break being like studied and canonized like ah oh, yes the sacred cabo wabo yeah no that's like what it in the first term the first reference we have to yol is somebody referencing needing to drink a yol which means drink yol uh because like his buddy died and they were having like a party to celebrate his life oh my gosh um so that's a fun fact but yes so that being said they did have midwinter holidays because it was basically the way they told time was weather and seasons sure yeah how else were you gonna know that time, time right yeah figure that out well and they were and it was a predominantly um like oral history based society yeah. like so much of what i came across looking into this different folklore was that Oh yeah, this was this was all from like accounts that were written like 500 years ago. So like well after these things were yeah. established because there were no written accounts or records or And a lot of the people writing them were the only people who could write at the time were Christian monks. Right. So it's it's that lens as well. So a lot of it is like here's what we think, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, the <like> things <laughs> may have gotten a little bit warped there. Yeah. Um, so in the retellings. 
Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So do you want to just go into some some stuff? Do you have sure? I definitely have one that um freaks me out. Not well, we'll we'll get there. I'll explain it. But um and then there's oh. another one here I think I've talked about before. It relates back to Sawain and Halloween. Go for it. Hit oh, us with just, it. Just go into it. I've told you about this guy before, I believe. Stingy Jack. I was just thinking of Stingy Jack. Mm-hmm. That's the one that I know. Yeah. I love so that story. Wait, which version of the story do you know? Because Yeah, Matt, you tell different... the, the one that I heard, uh, do you want me to just tell the whole story? Or yeah, just yeah, go for it. Okay. The, the one that I discovered was uh, there was this old guy named Stingy Jack, and he, at some point in his life, it's been a while, at some point in his life, he made some kind of deal with the devil so that he could have a longer life. And the devil made good on that deal. But then when it came time to collect, uh, if there was like a coin or something, mm-hmm. but Stingy Jack kept finding ways to outsmart the devil. Like he would hide the coin that it represented or something like that. And and then like the devil would have to keep on making his life longer and longer and longer until eventually uh, his life did finally just end. But heaven didn't want him because he made a deal with the devil. And I think if I'm not mistaken, he had also made some kind of deal with the devil where he would not go to hell. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't go to hell, but heaven didn't want him. So they just said, okay, you're going to wander the earth in darkness forever. And he was given like a single coal to light the way. And mm-hmm. so he took that coal and hollowed out he, different tellings, but like either a turnip or a potato and made a uh, lantern out of it and carried it with him everywhere he went. And that is sort of what evolved into the, the jack-o'-lanterns that we have today jack of the lantern yeah yeah that's about the version i know um and what i think is so interesting about that story is you can see the christian obviously the christian influences in it especially um like there's one version i heard where he first comes across the devil on the road and asks the devil in exchange for like giving him his soul to like help him reach an apple from a tree which obviously, you know, that imagery is, um, you know, super prevalent, obvious, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, but I always really like that story because it never, I, I first heard that actually when I was in Salem, they told, they told that story in the um, a witchcraft museum, I guess, of course. Um, sure. <laughs> some sort of witch museum, witch history museum. Um, and I thought it was so interesting because I never, like, I never thought, you know, why people thought to stick candles in, in turnips and pumpkins and, and different things. Um, mm-hmm. So many people don't know where the traditions of Halloween came from. It, that's part of why it's such a fascinating holiday. But yeah. I, think, I think a lot of the traditions came, it certainly came from the Celtic region, but I think a lot of it probably came from Ireland itself. Yeah, yeah. I think like, so. Like the, uh, the whole dressing up as... Um, just in costumes, I think that came from a tradition where they would uh, dress up as people who have. Either do, it's it varied from time to time, but one version they dressed up to like either ward off evil spirits, or and then later on they actually like would also dance around fires, mm-hmm. and again it was all meant to ward off evil spirits. Then just over time it became a party, and then they and of course it's in Ireland they must have introduced alcohol. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good idea. Yeah, I guess um, I forget it's guising or souling. Is that what guising, they used to call it? Yeah. yeah. Where they would um, 
And it was interesting because it, it actually, in the earliest times, seemed closer to like Christmas caroling is kind of what they were doing in these costumes. They would go door to door and perform like songs and right. get some sort of reward in exchange. Um, Trick or treat. Yeah. Um, which I had to do on a level in my um, Assassin's Creed video game. Really? Yeah. It was the one where it's the Wicker Man too. It's basically you go to this town, they give you a costume, um, dress, you dress as the, it's a Welsh being, um, what is it called? The Body Lude, something like that. Um, and uh, you have to go door to door and like say a little poem and collect a certain amount of goods and at the end of the spoiler if anyone's playing this this quest <laughs> in the game but um at the end the like um like or like the mayor of the town or whatever gets into the wicker man and they burn him to you know it, it literally is the ending scene to the wicker man in this video game like somebody just really wanted to to do this it was pretty funny <laughs> but um yeah you just go trick-or-treating as part of your quest did you ever find the origins of trick-or-treating? Because when I looked it up, that it said that's still a mystery. The the closest thing I found was like, like 16th century going door to door, um, you know, in costume. And you you would sort of perform a prayer, you would offer prayers, you would offer songs. And again, it, it seems to go back to either warding off things or like blessing someone. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like that's the thing is, is like that's so we have that record from, you know, the Middle Ages. Clearly, it's going to be a very post-Christianization record from an oral history from 600 years ago. So before then, so who knows what they were doing or what they thought they were doing, what they knew. What they knew. Yeah. yeah. I don't think about that. Um, but yeah, I think it's always I've read. A couple I read um a couple different books about Halloween at this point and people just really can't pin down what pieces started where and you know there's they were like yeah there's there was evidence of human sacrifice we think right <laughs> yeah we don't really talk about that part yeah. we don't do that anymore um which I so think just adds to the allure and the mystery and the continued creepiness of Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Even with its modern day iteration, it's still like, well, this may have had some shady roots. <laughs> just keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah. Everything but, does. True. <laughs> true. Yeah. So another thing I found that was interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you had this on your list or not. Is the again trying to say this the cat seat? I know this is why I made you start. Start, yeah. <laughs> like, how are you saying it? it? <laughs> Wait, sorry. Which I don't know if I had this one. Which one was cat seat? I think is Sith is how it's. Oh yes, but I didn't. I didn't have a ton. Okay. So here's what I found interesting about this guy. So he supposedly this is actually more Scottish than Irish. Um, but he's a human who, and he's by human, I mean, witch or sorceress or fairy who is transformed into a cat, um, seems to be a neutral entity, um, but is capable of stealing the soul of a recently deceased person by passing over the corpse before it was buried. So there were these ceremonial, um, 
like vigils they would hold like pre-burial that turned out turned into parties eventually where they would like ward off the cat to prevent them from stealing the souls the dead and they would play games to stay up all night but um this seems to be the origin of cats having nine lives um because it was there was a story about how a witch or fairy could only transform into their cat form nine times and after that it remained permanent so we think that might be um the origin of that obviously one of the many origins i'm sure of the association with black cats and witches um it was believed that this was like inspired by this crazy looking like weird wild cat in scotland called a kellis cat um which is a hybrid of a wild cat and a domestic cat and it looks like just a really mean big domestic cat who like prowls the sounds very metal um he seems kind of cool or they i guess it's a whole group of them but i thought that was interesting because they the, the nine lives thing um yeah stuck out to me that's fascinating i never knew the origin of that yeah huh. all right now you got to pronounce something oh gosh um nope i'm gonna cop out and talk about banshees <laughs> i know how actually to um it's pronounced <laughs> right oh, there, is. <laughs> there is like the old irish pronunciation oh, I'll, I'll embarrass myself with that i think bane seath maybe oh yeah the uh the like sd yeah yeah isn't the key to just sound drunk like yeah. <laughs> yeah right that's probably where we just got the English pronunciation. Oh, Drunk <laughs> Irish people saying the old pronunciations. <laughs> Irish person's gonna listen to this and hate me. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I from what I hear, Irish Irish people in Ireland don't really like Irish Americans anyway. So for this reason, <laughs> what have I got to lose? Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to all of our potential Irish and Irish American listeners. I do have some really good little horror films if you've ever spotted them, like Black Sheep, and then yeah. some other one about aliens that like would come out of like come out of the ocean and like suck Ooh. people up or whatever. But anyway, Ooh, don't want to. Yeah, Wakewood is a really good Irish horror movie. I haven't, I haven't seen that one. I like it a lot. It has um, Little Finger. Oh, uh, oh, the guy from The Wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know you're talking about now. He's the lead. He's really good. Um, anyway, so Banshees, um, probably, maybe, well, I guess second to the Leprechaun, the <laughs> what most people would yeah. be relatively familiar with in terms of um, Irish folklore. Um, as with many of these sort of different creatures, lots of different variations on what exactly is a banshee, but generally agreed that it would be a female um, spirit or fairy woman um, that is meant to herald the death of a family member, usually through shrieking or um, the old Celtic tradition of keening, which was like funerary wailing um that was performed by women um some people think they may have been like almost like village wise women who were paid to keen 
or to oh, wail she, at funerals. She's the lady you go to. Yeah, sort of thing. She's the lady. Just go. Oh, somebody died. Go get the. Go get the lady. Go get the loud. Go get the wail lady. <laughs> Need her to shriek. <laughs> shriek. <laughs> Night and day. Night and day. Um, but yeah, supposedly uh, banshees live near water. Uh, they often take the form of an old hag, but they are capable of changing form and can appear um, as a young, beautiful woman if they so choose. They're meant to be an omen of death or foreboding. Um, and a lot of lore agrees that each uh, family basically had one banshee that was assigned to that family um, and would basically watch all members of the family until they were all dead. Um, different versions of the folklore say that the banshee um, as a creature only um, is attached to our, our families of pure Irish descent. Um, so you two, with some mixed Irish descent, you wouldn't count, unfortunately. No banshee for me. No banshee for you guys. I'm a, I'm a mudblood. That's okay. <laughs> the, the concept of this scares me anyway. So. Um, I like and, banshees. I, I think they're a cool concept. They are a cool concept. Yeah, I, I right? want them to be real. <laughs> they're very real. And they're not, they themselves don't actually cause any harm or cause death. They're just like, they're their warning of it basically um cacao. Cacao, cacao. oh yeah they are associated <laughs> yeah. with they are associated with birds um and supposedly you know do everything they can not to be sighted but you can hear them apparently and they sound like like the flapping of wings um if you do see one it's supposed to mean that not that someone in your family is going to die but that you're going to die so if you see one, so if you hear one, it just means if you hear one, die. it's yeah, it's just someone in your family's going to die. Okay. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, you since you were in Salem, the myth of Giles Corey. And if, mm -hmm. you, if mm. you see him in the cemetery, if you see him, it means disaster is coming. And if he speaks to you, it means that you're going to die. You're in trouble. Mm it just yeah. i've got another one that's similar to this in terms of you know like omen of, of death stuff and for whatever reason across cultures because everyone every culture's got some version of that um right. it always freaked me out that always freaked me out the idea of seeing a certain thing and it being sort of like a, a warning um freaks me out yeah it's creepy um and there's a couple of different stories of maybe like how the idea of the Banshee got started, but one of the generally agreed upon ones um, is that it may have been attached to um, a Celtic noblewoman who drowned uh, in a lake um, on her family's estate because um, she couldn't marry you know, her one true love who happened to be, you know, a poor peasant boy. Um, and that's like why banshees are associated with water and the wailing and that they can often appear as young, beautiful women. Um, some people say that uh, 
banshees are only attached to um, specific families, uh, particularly the six, um, I guess, first, like clans of Ireland, which would be the O'Neills, the O'Donnells, the O'Connors, the O'Learys, the O'Tools, and the O'Connors. And so that if you're not a part of that family, um, you'd never hear a banshee. So interesting. I wonder what the sort of root is of this um, xenophobic sort of take on like only only pure Irish and only the original Irish yeah. can hear the banshees. Like I read a couple different articles about banshees and where they come from and the idea and like the one through line was that oh yeah but they're only attached to like like it kept bringing up like pure Irish blood or pure Irish descent or that idea and there was something about let me see if I can find it in this one article interesting because you have cultures that are like yeah only us for certain things but this seems like a really crappy thing to like have is right like why would you <laughs> want this to be your thing um Oh yeah, and so in the Middle Ages, the big thing was that um, the Banshee could be a protective spirit, but only for individuals that were pure or noble if death were to come and claim them. And there's some disagreement as to what they meant by the term noble, as if that meant like the characteristic, like being noble at heart, or if it meant like the social, social status, like of nobility. Interesting. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and then they started showing up in uh, Victorian folk tales and fairy tales a lot. Um, and that sort of like, I think, revitalized them in public consciousness in Ireland um, and also spread the idea of the Banshee to most of um, the rest of Western Europe and, you know, beyond. Because I think for a long time before that, it had just been like very much contained to Ireland and if you had you know said the term banshee before the Victorian age like somewhere else in the world like people probably wouldn't know what the hell you were talking about oh, yeah. so maybe that has something to do with why like the banshee is tied to like just Irish people I don't know that's interesting yeah well for us common folk <laughs> there's a different um sort of omen of death um, that shows up in Irish folklore as well, called the fetch. Oh, yes. Yes, um, which very similar to doppelgangers, very similar to like, you know, any, any version of this in any culture. It is a double of, of oneself. Um, depending on like the version you read, it could be spiritual, it could be physical. Um, you know, the... The, some of the ideas like trace back to like it's the um, sort of like soul of, of the body. So like there's the body and then the soul, which is like a spiritual copy of the body exists separately. Um, and seeing it, you know, is, is an omen of death. Um, there's a version of this from like the Vikings in Ireland 
that have something that I'm definitely not going to try to pronounce, but they have their own version of it, um, where basically the idea is it's this being that follows you throughout your entire life. It's a part of you. Um, it's born when you are as part of like the afterbirth process. Um, Damn. Yeah. And it, and it just exists um, with you. And, you know, when the, the word, the Norse word that I'm not going to try and say means to mm-hmm. accompany, um, which is similar to, you know, you know, fetch is like fetch life, you know, take, mm-hmm. take life, take soul, that sort of thing. Um, so it's interesting. Um, but stuff like with, doppelgangers and seeing doubles like looking up and seeing a double of yourself (laughs) is like horrifying to me I don't know why I don't know if it's like the super version of the uncanny valley or whatever but um just the idea of um you know you're walking along and you know you're in the the Irish glade and then all of a sudden there's you and right um well and there are other like myths I don't know if the Irish one goes into this but like I know in some cultures, like it said, if you see your doppelganger, mm-hmm. it for, it's not a good thing. Like it foretells doom or death or. Yeah. Something. And there's some versions of this where that's part of it. Um, some versions where it's just an understood, like part of you that, you know, when you die, it does the action of, of taking you and ferrying you on to the next world or you know, in some versions, it causes that by seeing it, it is, you know, mm. taken, taken your life, taken um, your soul, depending on, on what you have. It's so interesting, though, because there are so many, because like, it's close to the idea of a British wraith. So like, you know, there's different, very closely connected um, groups that had very similar stuff. So they're not 100% sure, you know, where it started, where it came from, you know, which one inspired which just because they're all so similar um but you know a lot of groups in this area and even into farther parts of like western and northern europe had this idea that there is a you know spiritual double of yourself or in some cases a physical double of yourself that represents you know the soul the you know whatever afterlife was believed in and that sort of thing um or, you know, in the case of Irish Vikings believe that it was tied to fate um, and sort of like your fate existed from the moment you were born. And that was what was following after you. And um, there was sort of just, you know, it was decided. And this is the thing that will make sure that it, that it happens. This, I'll try and say this, feels, <laughs> um, I say yes. Feels good to me. Yogis? I don't know. Anyway, point is, that's always just been something that creeps me out. Um, doppelgangers. Just because to me, like, the, just the idea of it, I was like, there's no way this thing is, like, a good, nice thing. Like, there's no way I see a version of myself and it's not, like, mean, like, some sort of, like, annihilation, you know, double of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Have like you ever seen, like, someone that looks really similar to you? Or had someone say like oh my god I saw someone that looked just like you I had that once I mean I get like you get random celebrities sometimes um like I get when I was a kid I got Christina Ricci a lot because I could see that yeah um and then I was told I looked like Russell Crowe and I told I could see that (laughs) really I I don't know 
Um, I feel like your your Matt your facial hair. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helps you. Yeah. Um, yeah they said that and I just threw my arms out and, just, and I asked them, "Are you not entertained?" <laughs> yeah, we just they were not. Some glad that would be a good Halloween costume for you. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm not putting on that uh, now. <laughs> no, I'm not um, doing that. No, but I had somebody in high school say to me, they were like, I don't know, I think they were like traveling to go visit a college and um, they stopped at a rest stop on the way back and they said they saw somebody that looked so much like me that they almost went up to say something to them. Wow. To be like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? And then realized it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> where that person is like where are they <laughs> interesting and creepy yeah so my goal in life is to not run into them it's a good goal cool. but um yeah. it's interesting though because there seems to be no sort of correlation between the fetch and this cat that may or may not steal your soul away um if it catches you before you're you're buried um but there seems to be a sort of common theme here with a lot of these about sort of uh predicting death or disrupting sort of the death process and and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing which you know for people in the old and dark and scary times i could see that being kind of a primary focus sure death was all around them you know and when we joke about you know Oh, someone back then they were 30. Well, they're about to die, but like kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's a good point. Death was pretty much everywhere. That that's why I think Halloween became a thing because it, it meant the heralding of winter, and winter was death for so many people. Right. Like, yeah. You weren't prepared. That that was gonna be your last season. Yeah. Yeah. Winter, disease, war childbirth like yeah yeah Yeah, no kidding having even more than like even one child it's like well you know (laughs) good luck one of you might not come out of this thing a lot yeah (laughs) well even like like paper cuts (laughs) oh it's infected infections yeah yeah no kidding yeah, because they were just like, hey, what if we slept in the same bed as the kids and the dog and the pig and, yeah. you know. <laughs> just see what happens there. Just see yeah. what happens. And everybody poop at the same time. Cool. <laughs> same you know, place. Yeah. I once asked myself, like, how did we ever survive without Tylenol? And then I realized we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think about that. I, I, I think about, I thought about that specifically being at the dentist on Friday. And I was like, you know, with the way that they act about our teeth and the shit that could happen to your teeth, how did anyone like ever, first of all, like have teeth? I guess they didn't because Washington they- like famously didn't. Um, and we only have paintings. So we have no like photographic evidence that they kept their teeth and stuff. But, you know, if you want a spooky Washington story, like, you know, you know, you know what kind of teeth he had. If you had to guess, what kind of teeth did he have? Well, they say wooden teeth, but I know the truth is much greater. Right. Wasn't it yeah. other people's teeth? Yeah. Like, it was, well, it was his slave's teeth. And yeah. they were not always taken voluntarily. Yeah. Mm, so they really watered that down to the wooden teeth. Uh, I, I can see story. why they did. I get yeah. it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, American history is complicated. 
It sure is. Every nation's history is going to be complicated, of course. So, yeah. How about tooth horror? That's serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, tooth horror is rough. Yeah. Yep. So, what do you? What's your next one? What do you got? Well, speaking of teeth, I've got the Irish vampire. Oh, tell me about this because mm-hmm. I was gonna. I was thinking. I guess this takes place in Scotland, but I was thinking of the Littlest Vampire, and then I love the Littlest <laughs> Vampire. And then. Um, what is it the boys from county hell or whatever yeah yeah they get into that so this is the story of the damn it the abhartak sure think. sure got my vote i'm so sorry irish listeners (laughs) (laughs) but um this was i i think is like um one of those uh we're looking for i think it's like a boogeyman type story over there mm-hmm. so it's often told um to children to get them to behave if they're um getting a bit naughty um but it might be somewhat based in some sort of truth like all good legends um there is an account that was published in 1896 by patrick weston joyce um that is the agreed upon version of the story, which is um, that at one point, long, long, long ago in Ireland, there was a wicked dwarf uh, with magic powers who decided he was basically going to terrorize the local villagers. um, And he did all sorts of horrible things to them and um, killed their cattle and ruined their crops and tried to scare them to death and snatched babies, that sort of thing. And when the village could not stand it anymore, um, they went to the local clan chieftain um, to try and get him to kill the dwarf. And so the chieftain was like, sure, I'm on it. And apparently um, it might've been a real clan chieftain. Like some people think it was Finn McCummel. Yeah. Ha ha. My guy. <laughs> yeah, you know. That was good old Finn. Finn McCummel. Um, he finds the dwarf somewhere out in the countryside. He kills the dwarf and buries him in a field. And the village is like, great, let's have a huge party. And they do. But then the next morning, the grave has been overturned and dug up. And this evil magic dwarf is back because he's escaped the grave and he comes back and he's really pissed and he does even worse things to the village. So they go and get the chieftain again and they're like, hey, it didn't work. Can you do this again? So he comes back, he finds the dwarf, he kills him and buries him a second time. Again, everybody's happy. But then the next morning, the grave's been overturned. The dwarf has escaped once again. And this time he does like the worst things imaginable. Children end up dead. It's awful. And he's like, oh, he makes some declaration at some point. He's like, fuck your village. I'm going to start doing this to all of Ireland now. (laughs) (laughs) What an escalation. (laughs) He takes it all the way to the top. So the chieftain is like really puzzled. And he's like, why won't you just die? And so legend has it that he goes to a local druid who explains that this time when the chieftain kills the dwarf, he has to bury him upside down. Um, and so he goes back and he does this and 
it works finally. Um, and so the story in Ireland is that um, this is the origin of the real um, version of Dracula and that oh, okay. the castle nearby where this all supposedly happened in Ulster um, was Bram Stoker's inspiration for Castle Dracula, so they say. Um, it's somewhere in Northern Ireland, I think. Oh, yeah. Ulster's yeah. in Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and which is really interesting because there's no mentions of like modern conventions of the vampire, like um, sunlight or um, even like blood drinking specifically, but there is just the idea of like being like undead and coming back um, oh. that I think is interesting. And uh, you, Mel, you mentioned the movie Boys from County Hell from last year, mm-hmm. uh, which was one of my favorites. And uh, th- like, that's all about this legend. You know, mm-hmm. they have like the grave where supposedly the real Dracula is buried and someone messes with it and he comes back and fucks shit up in the village. Yeah. Interesting. So, creepy. Yeah. And there's all kinds of creepy pictures of the Apartheid that you can find on Google and um, if you want some nightmare fuel. Well, it's so interesting too, because like Bram Stoker, obviously famously Irish. Um, And, you know, I love everyone's different stories, like, you know, like trying to suss out like where the inspiration for this came from, just because like, obviously there existed like conventions and and cultural like histories and that sort of thing but he really obviously defined what we think of today as like the european western concept of the vampire Mm -hmm. um and he you know people will talk about like oh yeah he you know pulled it from this serbian myth or that sort of thing but you forget like oh yeah like ireland like where he grew up um and what what exists there yeah pretty creepy I have one. Yeah. Which should be pretty easy to pronounce um, in modern day English because I'm not going to do the old Irish, but the Dulahan. That was going to be my next one. Yeah. So we can we can talk about this guy together. He's super metal. He is super metal. Um, but uh, the also called the um, Gun Tsien. Kin, I'm not sure how to say it, but it means in English without a head. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the headless writer of Irish folklore. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty similar from what I found to like other cultures, ideas of the headless horseman, um, including the one we're familiar with from the Irving short story. Um, he rides a black horse. He carries his own head that he holds high in one hand, um, which in some versions of the story supposedly has almost like a um, Glasgow grin uh, permanently etched on the mouth. Uh, And he's roaming about the Irish countryside um, uh, for all eternity. You can see him on like the darkest nights of the year, apparently. Um, if you do encounter him on the on your path and he says your name, supposedly you'll die on the spot and your soul will be damned. 
Um, I don't know what happens if you encounter him and he doesn't say your name, though. So some things I saw were if he crosses your path and nothing happens, it's chill. Um, <laughs> if he crosses your path and he stops riding, somebody present is is going is it's like an omen of death. Like somebody uh, there, it's because somebody there is supposed to die soon. If he crosses your path and he says your name, it's like instant kill. It's like yeah. one. It's he one shots you. <laughs> just. Draws the soul away from them, from them and and um, you just you're dead on the spot and you're done. Yeah, yeah. And supposedly carrying gold on your person will protect you from the Dulahan, um, and that can either like prevent him from appearing at all, or like will make him go away if he does show up. Um, which is interesting that that would be. I know you think that would like make him show up just right or that would get you the shit kicked out of you on the road yeah and also yeah and just curious because like for such an old myth like you would think most regular day people wouldn't have gold right oh yeah let me just get my gold out of my yeah my gold chest so i can take a walk like <laughs> <laughs> um he is really crazy, though. So in addition to his head, he supposedly carries a human spine for a whip. Yeah, forgot about that. And, uh, so metal. and he has a wagon that he pulls with him that's um, made out of, like, jointed together bones and covered over with dried human skin um and it said like the the it's like the funeral procession like it's meant to be sort of like a hearse situation um with this wagon um, okay but it looks and sounds super scary <laughs> that's interesting because i saw one thing that mentioned that um in some versions of the story he um he appears to collect the um, human um, who's meant to die uh, after the Banshees call. Mm. Um, so they're, they're in coots. Yeah, they're like partners. Creepy. I've always found the imagery of this dude is insane. I've always found headless riders, the headless horsemen, to be really 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 scary maybe because i saw like the disney cartoon far right. too young. yeah that, that is a terrifying cartoon it's terrifying i Thank watched you, that man. i watched that last <laughs> halloween and it's like that was amazing that thing was <laughs> scarier than tim burton's movie i don't care what anyone <laughs> tells me My yeah gosh. it is a scary ass cartoon Oh, and it, it's so well done. Everything about it. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Next. I was just going to say the simplicity of it, too. Like, as much as I really do enjoy Tim Burton's version, like, I like not having the mythology. I just like, you know, somebody tells me, don't cross over this covered bridge at night because there's going to be a headless horseman on the other side. Yeah. Well, and because it's animated, it's there's so much more they could do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, if, mm-hmm. if they wanted something to be completely unlit, well, no problem. That's just how you draw it. Whereas, you know, when you're shooting something, it becomes a bit more complicated, even yeah. with, yeah, even with our modern production capabilities. But uh, gosh, yeah, just horrifying. And every, 
And it's it's so funny because the Ichibod character is so maybe the reason it's so frightening is Ichibod is so comical the way he's drawn. Yeah, he very much looks like a cartoon character, but the headless horseman is drawn like a very real looking kind of thing, and yeah, it makes him stand apart, and he's just so much more frightening. Right, because they're kind of like, oh, it's goofy and it's silly. Look at that lanky bastard, and then <laughs> like it gets real. Yes. Yeah. I was so happy I got to watch that with my kids. There was an interesting book that I have written down somewhere um, that is about the sort of folklore and um, tradition of hauntings in the um, Hudson Valley and, you know, why it was such a hotbed for, for stuff like this. Um, and it was really interesting. I'll see if I can find it sometime because that might be a fun thing to do just because, you know, obviously it seems like our Headless Horseman here in America is definitely pulled from this guy. Um, mm-hmm. But it is something that's just always, like the idea that something, like this is the thing that freaked me out when I was a kid. I was really scared of the idea of mummies. I don't know if I thought it was real and it would happen but like I remember being really freaked out by mummies and I would just have this image of a you know like the comical sort of like wrapped in in toilet paper mummy but like what freaked me out is the slow chase and the fact that it couldn't you know it didn't have eyes but it could see me and it knew where I was and I think that's kind of what freaked me out I say this as if like this is something that happened to me um, it was in theory, this was the what would happen in my mind if a mummy crossed my path. Um, but I think that's the same thing that freaks me out about like the headless horseman stuff. Is you know, it's it, it, it's creepy, right? And it's like mm-hmm. you don't have a head. How do you how do you know where how I? How are am? you driving? Why do you know? Yeah. I'm, yeah, like they can just sense that you're there, right? Um, and to nope. me, worse than the mummy because. It's the fast chase. It's the super fast chase because he's on a horse and mm-hmm. you can't outrun a horse. So you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's not enough headless horseman content in the world. I think yeah. it's a very simple, very effective uh, concept. Especially this dude with his human spine wish for his horse. Yeah, we need like a we need a hardcore like. Dulahan movie. Yeah, how come no one's made this the uh like everyone does the like um revolutionary war soldier look yeah. for, for this guy? Yeah, well, they gotta do the next scream reboot, so you don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he takes off the mask and it's the headless horseman. <laughs> there we go. The next ghost face is just headless. It's just headless. <laughs> There's nothing under the mask. There's nothing there, but you didn't see that coming. <laughs> you like the invisible man. Ooh. Yes, you can, like just stuff like that. It's so funny because I have such a visceral memory of being at my friend's house, like sleeping over. And just like, if a mummy comes in here, I'm going to freak out. I'm like six. And like, for some reason, this really, I was really afraid of mummies. Isn't that what happened to that kid in the Monster Squad? There was like a mummy that came into his closet and yeah. just went out there. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is, is that what freaked you out? Is like, I have no idea because I was trying to think. I was like, well, what was my first sort of, you know, relationship with mummies? And I think here's here's what I've come up with. My first job that I ever wanted to do for the longest time is I wanted to be an Egyptologist. 
I read a lot of that stuff. I really immersed myself in it. And I really got into like, you know, the sort of like stories about, you know, from these like dudes coming in here from Europe, from Europe, having no idea what they're doing and dying of, you know, random things, but calling it the mummy's curse. I totally believed in, in the truth of that. And I think those things kind of just like the imagery of mummies and then the stories of the curses just conflated in my brain. And then I'm sure at more than one point in my life, I saw some mummy, you know, probably the original mummy at some point, because I don't know if, um, I don't think the Brendan Fraser version was out by the time that I was scared of mummies. <laughs> those were huge for me. Yeah. I love those movies. Oh, they're I so I don't good. care what anyone says. <laughs> they're so good. I used to, I like, I spent all of fifth grade, like, I would just come home and watch The Mummy. And then the next night I watched The Mummy Returns. And the next night I watched The Mummy. And then The Mummy Returns, I just kept yep. going for like a whole have year. You, have you ever seen the original Boris Karloff one for The yes. Mummy? It is remarkably similar to that. I had no idea until I saw that how like faithful yeah. they were to the original. They just threw in a bunch of action sequences, basically. Right. Yeah. 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 Same. I didn't see the Karloff one until way, you know, after the the Fraser ones and I was like wait a minute this is like yeah. it was amazing this I was on it. I started geeking out watching Karloff so that was yeah. not just because it was Karloff right which should have been enough <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly I was just like oh yeah this is a blind spot let me get to it Boris Karloff it'll be fine and then I was like whoa yep and uh we don't talk about the Tom Cruise one what oh yeah yeah what did you I say did I did like the idea oh, the Tom Cruise one what? I no, like, just what? What? <laughs> the overall idea they had to reboot the Universal Monsters. I was into that as a concept. The way yeah. they went about doing it was really dumb because they were trying to do a sort of Avengers. Yeah. Thing. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I was like, why did you choose to start with the Mummy for this idea? They and didn't. That's actually like the Dracula. second or third attempt. Oh my yeah. god! Dracula, yeah, Dracula failed. The first one. Dracula yeah. Untold. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, I saw. Problem. I definitely saw. Wow. Now that was no. a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that. I heard enough people say and I just said, never mind. <laughs> yeah. It was uh it was something. Yeah. I can't throw too many stones because I really like Van Helsing. <laughs> I saw that new one they released on Netflix, the the BBC one. The oh, I never part. watched that, but I the, oh, the... the first it's like a mini series, and the first yeah. two episodes are awesome. Then there's the third, and it's just like, yeah. why did you do that? Stumbled a bit on that third one. Yeah, I agree. I, I did like the first two a lot, and I loved the concept that they introduced in the third one, but it just. Oh. It didn't quite carry through. Yeah, I think I think because it's so cool seeing Dracula in that gothic time period, yeah. and when you throw right. him into modern day, it it just it's kind of that like already is bad. And then well, yeah, and that's that, why I love the Coppola yeah. one. Like as in, as weird as it is, some of the directorial and acting choices, like the vibe of it and the color and the aesthetics, just I was like, yeah, this feels like a Dracula movie. Like, yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you called it Coppola's Dracula because that's a sore point with me. I'm just like, this is not Bram Stoker's Dracula. I don't care what they're trying to sell me because I have read that book. It's a pain in the butt to read it, but I know what that. It is a chore to read. 
it's it's the it's the first uh found footage yeah yeah in existence yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. crazy yep. well i think we i mean i'm at a i'm at a irish, okay. irish <laughs> yeah i we hit, i think a lot of the big ones obviously there's tons of other yeah um little versions of fairies and leprechauns yeah. and kelpies and um, kelp yeah i guess that's a big one that we didn't get to is kelp yeah and ch uh, changelings i think are big and irish culture. i was actually surprised you didn't do that just because i know you love the changeling which i know has nothing to do with irish changelings <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i do love the changeling um and the idea of changelings the only reason i didn't put it on as like oh let's talk about it for sure is because it's not unique to yeah. celtic and irish folklore mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely a creepy idea yeah. um and there was something else called a puka yes did you come across that too? i came across it i didn't dive into it but i assume it's the same thing that they made the movie there was a movie on hulu oh that was in the in the dark series or whatever yeah yeah there's a movie called puka that i assume was this guy but maybe it wasn't maybe that movie was about like a demonic toy come to life kind of thing but maybe they were just using the uh yeah the word association yeah the puka. it looks like it's a little sort of gremlin type guy yeah i think like very mischievous spirit kind of thing apparently it um is either attracted to or like helps people who are drunk. Oh, cool. <laughs> he, um, Not to stereotype the Irish, but. He's got a, like, he looks like he has like a sort of a, a, a like a, like an anthropomorphized rabbit. Look yeah. Interesting. Yeah, just it's like a, a creepy little, little guy. Little mischievous little bugger. So well, there we tacked on another. There, there, good. We tacked on the puka. Great. Um, so I think that'll wrap up our discussion on Celtic and Irish folklore um, for episode ninety-six. And of course, we want to thank Matt Shore for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. Of course, you're always welcome anytime. And of course, just a reminder for folks: um, you can find and follow Matt on all the social media platforms right at the matt shore just about yeah on twitter it's at the matt shore on instagram it's at the shore for the whatever shore. reason matt was taken and oh. then on uh, tiktok the one matt shore that's the oh my god so you're on tiktok so clearly i have to follow you immediately um, okay <laughs> what do you post i guess very big on tiktok as a as a viewer <laughs> as a viewer i don't have anything. um what do you get up to on tiktok I'm mostly promoting myself. Sure. <laughs> Being honest, a lot of that, sure. but I also throw out some jokes. Um, and to this day, the joke that got the the two things that got the most traction, the one that has the absolute most, it had twenty two thousand views. It, I'm amazed to this day. All I did was edit footage from Star Trek: The Next Generation, and it's it's Riker, Data, and Troy, and Riker farts on the turbo lift, and then everybody just kind of looks at each other. And that's all I did. And that got 22,000 people interested. People love that one. <laughs> and the show. other one, 
And the other one, I made fun of Heimdall from Thor, speaking of Norse mythology, how mm -hmm. like he's supposed to be able to see everything. Well, why didn't he warn Thor about everything that came in all the other movies? Literally that everything list, that happened. <laughs> I did this whole long list of everything and that infuriated people. I got Ooh. like 90 some odd angry answers explaining exactly uh, yeah. why he didn't see it and somebody made a response video to that thing oh that's how you wow. know you made it when somebody makes like a response TikTok. that's true yeah they yeah, care so. enough to take time out of their day to yell at you you're officially oh. tiktok famous i guess or at least for <laughs> two and a half minutes i was <laughs> they've moved on to somebody else to be mad at now yeah. they've found somebody else to be mad at well, yes, if, listeners, you can find Matro on all these amazing platforms, but you're not allowed to go be mean to him. That's, yeah, we don't sure. endorse any of that. And um, of course, support his Kickstarter and Please. look out for that final uh, edition of Moby Dick Back from the Deep and all the cool upcoming projects that you've got um, coming our way, like zombie pterodactyls and whatnot. Yep. <laughs> Um, and, and I'm sure we'll have you back at some point again. You know, I feel like we you we got to get you to like what are they, what's on SNL the Five Timers Club. Okay, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. sounds great. <laughs> That's gonna be our goal, I think. Yeah. Um. And where can people find us, Miss Mel? By the way. Yes. So, um, on Instagram. No, why did I start with Instagram? On Twitter. <laughs> splatter chatter 666 minus all the vowels in that word um but if that's too difficult just search and we will pop up um you can email at splatter chatter 669 at gmail.com uh give us a tumble at splatter chatter.tumblr.com um again instagram going swinging back now splatter chatter 666 and the blog splatter hyphen chatter dot net com com dot com um, where you can leave comments and, and read all sorts of fun things. And um, yeah. Fantastic. We'll also take a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Um, what am I missing? Don't I Anywhere you get your podcasts. And Anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm missing something, but I can't remember what. Um, and for now, we want to remind everybody to keep up the creep. And we're just going to say au revoir, adios, and das vidas.